So does Piers Morgan have a point that maybe because we are now heightened and are aware of these things that we are actually snowflakes? I don't understand how someone can get so easily upset by someone else and yet then call them snowflakes. This Morgan you're talking about? Yeah, because yeah, he is yeah, essentially he is, a snowflake he's a himself. Snowflake. And the whole term snowflake come is, is quite, it's funny that the right use it because of where it's sort of come from and it's this idea, it originally um, came from this idea of the right being gentle-minded and you know simple and that kind of thing and it's been like taken by the right and completely and that in itself is, is funny it's, it's it's like they've missed their, the joke at their expense i've done a bit of research and found an urban dictionary definition for okay. what they've called a snowflake it is a derogatory slang term for a person implying that they have an inflated sense of uniqueness an unwarranted sense of entitlement or are overly emotional easily offended and unable to deal with opposing opinion. Now, They've from just listed that, out a bunch of different A number of different there. facets of what that could be, these different points of a snowflake. How many sides are in a snowflake? Eight, I think. I thought it was six. Oh, I don't know, look it up. I think it's 12 or eight. Maybe it's eight. I think it's six. Eight sounds like six. It came up in a pub quiz, I'm sure. Can you look up a picture of a snowflake? But while I'm doing that, we could just from, from, that, <laughs> from that particular definition of let me the key points being inflated sense of uniqueness unwarranted sense of entitlement over emotional and unable to deal with opposing opinion mm-hmm. what do you make of that do you think well, that we are like that as a generation i mean initially i am taking a slight offense to the unwarranted <laughs> entitlement the the word unwarranted kind of assumes that the things that typical snowflakes are annoyed by is not justified Okay, so let's take, I mean, we're paying a lot of attention to Piers Morgan, he might have to be the title for this. Some of the more famous tirades he's gone on is about vegan sausage rolls. Yeah. And that veganism is a fad and it's it's nonsensical and it's not particularly healthy and all, all these things. Is that criticism warranted, A, and B, are people who react to that and um, they essentially carry on the argument that he's making and kind of... I don't want to use the word, they, they bite, you know, they, they react. Why is it biting and why is it not, like, joining into the debate? It's never... Exactly. Well, it depends how Piers Morgan frames the debate. He's being particularly Morgan. callous and, like, oh, like, he's not really being... But why is he not being a snowflake then? He's getting so upset by somebody else's ideology. I think he's the biggest snowflake, yeah. actually. And the fact that he is, like, looking at what's going on now and is it genuinely incenses him. It's quite, quite funny to watch. I mean, yeah, the whole insult, as it's used now, is it's just, it, again, it's a particularly misogynistic uh, insult, political insult. Do you think? Yeah. Snowflake? Yes, because it's the idea that you're saying you're weak or you're fragile, and, and like, because you're getting upset by something, that makes you weak or you're fragile, because you're getting emotional about something, that makes you weak and fragile. But why is that misogynistic? Because um, of the fact it's, it's often linked, like, sort of, like, feminine fragility yeah fragility and like um like gen- generally like the emotive response is gen- like linked to a f- as a feminine quality and it's like oh okay if your response is not anger and it's emotion you're fragile or even if it's like your response is not just to accept it and just kind of let it brush over your skin then you're being emotional yeah and it's like this idea that maybe previous generations would have just run with the times and pulled up, up their yeah pulled up their bootstraps and all this kind of thing because we now as a generation of people are now questioning a lot of things that should have probably been questioned before we're labeled as entitled and like over emotional and not being able to you know 
have any resilience well is it resilience to face discrimination on a daily basis is that what it means to be resilient to just accept it and swallow it and I just, yeah. I how can standing up for something ever be seen as a sign of weakness? Either you say nothing and then you stood by, or you say something and you're, you're a snowflake, so you're weak being upset by it. So why do you think then, from the older generation or critics of the social movements that are propagated by people our age, why is there this perception that we are less resilient, do you think? Why do people think that as a generation we can't handle the same struggles that people before us had to naturally go through maybe take away new things that we've had to we've discussed and we've been able to um, bring awareness to a conversation topic that might not have been for example mental health is something that wasn't really discussed before so you can't compare how that generation dealt with it but the things that people think are oh, just the normal rough and tumble of life why is it seen that we can't handle that but is it a normal rough and tumble of life we don't know how many people were affected by these things because it wasn't spoken about just because something wasn't spoken about doesn't mean it wasn't there you know um, a gay person or necessarily felt a particular way about hearing homophobic jokes but they didn't stand up because they didn't want to get beaten up now we have laws to protect that and so it's okay to actually say you know what not only do your you know does your fist hurts but your words hurt and i'm calling you out on it even the fact that things like conversion therapy happened and were like so widely accepted you know there's nothing to say that people 20, 30 years ago weren't as affected as they are today. And I think mental health is a big thing. You know, a lot of the older generation see rates of depression now and anxiety. They see it as a sign of weakness, but really like we as a generation have also had to grow up with lots of different things. You know, you see lots of like uprisings in other countries and like revolutions. And like, this is obviously just like expanding our thought in itself, but also stuff like social media, you know? Yeah. We've had to grow up with that and face the consequences of it, which no one in the older generation probably would have expected to the scale that it's kind of exploded. I think, I'm not sure I agree, like I, I, I agree with the social media point, but I'm not sure about the sort of revolutions and stuff, because we've they've had that like for the last, definitely in the 20th century, there was obviously writings against um, various authoritarian groups. And so you would think perhaps then that people perhaps would be more understanding about treating, uh, you know, serving everyone equally. We saw in the 20th century um, Jewish people being persecuted and how awful it is. And yet we can't, we still like can't comprehend how like it's kind of still going on just with a different group of people. And I think, yeah, I always find it mad that like when my parents um, don't understand something or like say, oh, like, you know, we've always, uh, there's always been just two, two genders, for example. It's like, well, you lived through like, um, lived through, you know, uh, segregation and you saw that and you stood by people and like gay prides and all these things. And so how can like you suddenly get to a point where you go, yep, that's my tolerance. I'm good now, like check. Like that doesn't make sense. They should, we didn't have those same revolutions and yet we're more tolerant than our parents. Like, why is that? I have an interesting theory. So I think the main reason Especially with, you know, in recent history, 60s to 90s, a huge social change was taking place at a scale that was pretty unprecedented in terms of, um, especially in the West as well. To your point with social media, I think if you take something like the gay rights movement, I think the way that that conversation took place within the national consciousness was that the main way that people consumed media was television or newspapers. And so when social movements were taking place, whether they had debates on TV or whether they had people from a certain community come on and discuss it, I think Ian McKellum and Stephen Fry were really big proponents of the gay rights movement and trying to get that across to the public. 
because everyone was watching the same kind of media and consuming it at the same time, you, the the rate at which people gained a consensus was relatively uniform. Now, obviously, we're very connected with social media as a generation. We have to remember that the majority of the UK population is not on social media. So even though we're having really productive conversations online about certain social issues, it takes something as, like for us now, it's pretty common parlance that in an email or in a conversation, you would use your pronouns or you'd state what your pronouns are. Now, that might not be something that the majority of people in the UK understand, not through, you know, willful ignorance, but just because they're not part of these platforms. They're not using, they're not involved in the same conversation. So when we're going, oh, how could you not understand that? This is something we've settled a long time ago. But it's not people who are like, don't know about it. Cause I think your thing is saying like people who just didn't know about it. Mm. It's the people who are then t told, cause obviously people are allowed to make that kind of first, or in a lot of cases, allowed to make that first mistake. And if they genuinely, didn't know then that's not a problem you explain is people go well it wasn't like that and i'm not going to change like i you know there are a lot of things we learned and we saw them the first time we we then accepted them as soon as i knew about the uh, idea of you know people wanting to specify pronouns i never thought better question that because i haven't heard it before why do people do that i just think there's a greater distance i think especially back in the day with gay rights and civil rights movement there have been huge detractors people going this isn't right for moral reasons, for religious reasons, go, I can't accept this, this is not the way society should be going. You're still gonna have pushback. I just think there's more pushback now because you're having less of a real conversation between the people who are trying to get that message across and maybe people who don't understand or might not have the experience to understand. I don't understand. think it's a not understanding. I think the problem also lies in like algorithms on social media and the Absolutely. fact that some audiences on Facebook will be seeing content that's directly opposing kind of like freedoms and rights and new ways of thinking so in terms of them you know you're fed do we blame them because they're fed a different side of information you can't blame them it's not, it's not out of their control they based on you know a few pages they like they'll essentially be flooded with the similar kind of information so, and it's we can't really ask social media companies to broaden their horizon because that's how they make advertising so that's that's never going to change but okay but taking it back then to a human point other than and I don't really mean to sort of, you don't really want to single out anyone, but white cis men, every single other person. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> single anyone out, but. But um, um, these um, Stephen! Um, but like, they're all, like, like, other than that, every other person in the population has some sort of, obviously, varying people, have, like, people have varying degrees, but are some sort of disadvantage. Um, so you, what you would think is like, you know, I know that certain, you know women can be treated unfairly compared to men, and therefore my view is that I I don't think anyone should be treated unfairly because of any of their characteristics. So every other person who is not a white cis a man um, surely should feel equally, but there's not like and like particularly in America, um, uh, black gay men talk about the difficulty of being a black gay person, um, and like that makes for me I I really struggle to understand how you can be a member of a persecuted group but you still harbour hate for another group that isn't like who is uh, you know not persecuting you if that makes sense because i think i think that that point about intersectionality is really vital to understanding how different uh, characteristics and different life situations can impact you in 
in more adverse ways than just one of those characteristics. Yeah. But I think ultimately it's because even and I, I, I understand what you're saying with white cis men as the majority of the people who might not have had the experiences to understand where prejudice and discrimination comes from. But just because you share a common trait with someone doesn't necessarily mean you share the same experience. So black men in America who should theoretically, because of the oppression they face, look at gay men and go, oh, these guys are actually going through a similar thing we're doing. They're not recognizing that because they're, they can still make that distinction for whatever reason. In terms of the um, white cis male, I, and this might be a very cynical view, but you have to consider like, there is a vested interest to keep aspects of tradition and kind of like mm. this hierarchy continuing. Because if now everyone is made equal, what is the stake for a white cis man? Yeah, I mean, like, what, what? No like, one's going to cede power. You have to essentially take power. And, you know, you can empathize in that situation. If us as a family, for example, were dominating a certain industry for hundreds and thousands of years, would you want to give it up now willingly? No. We've had discussions before about kind of performative allyship and stuff where huge companies like Nike, for example, will say, you know, we're, we're making sure our companies are more diverse, but the people at the top are never going to just give their positions up. Why would you? You've, you know, you and typically people of a similar background are dominating those positions. You're not going to give it up voluntarily. You, you make it seem that you're making your organization more diverse, but not where it counts. I get not giving it up, but surely, like they're, they're gonna die at some point like <laughs> at that point when you're looking at who to re- recruit or take over the, the position then that's when obviously and obviously that's going to cause a huge delay and like that kind of thing but what we're saying is when there is an opening consider everyone I mean, that's the challenge with like homophily and like the idea that like you tend to see you tend to relate to people who are like-minded and like you so in a job interview the problem is that people don't recognize that actually this person who's from a different background actually shares more in common with me than i realize i'm 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 a huge fan of stuff like the rooney rule they have in the states where essentially in american football when there's a job position opening you have to interview at least one black coach you have to give, it's not like a, you have to give them a job, but it's it's about getting a diverse talent pool in front of you. So normally when it comes to CVs, they might look at people from different experiences and go, not kind of what we're looking for, because they're looking at a historical model of what things have worked. But if you have someone in front of you that is not your typical coach, but actually can really impress you, then you're more likely to give them an opportunity. But I don't think that's enough. I don't think having a diverse pool of candidates will make a difference unless you have a diverse minded recruiter you know mm. one one person could see hundreds of applications featuring you know a whole diverse group of people but if they in themselves have a very narrow mind of what they think will constitute a good candidate then it, it's not going to matter who's you know applying for the job they already know which ones they're going to pick but then what's your solution to that then i think one thing you say is probably blind cvs yeah, that kind blind of stuff CVs, like, not showing the school you went training. to that kind of stuff particularly like we all, I think a massive presumption throughout all of it we've been making is that the recruitment process is just for like British people of different races or um, sexualities or whatever. But when we start talking about international things, do you, do you not put your school on there at that point? Like there is incredibly hard to hide elements of your diversity. Yeah, I think we're trying we're, we're trying to transition from a recruitment perspective from a metric based assessment to a holistic based assessment, and so, but then the, the difficulty they're trying to reject now is well, how do you 
metrics, even though they could be unreliable and not representative of you as a candidate, they give you some things to base it off. It's the same reason why firms have like online verbal reasoning tests and stuff. It doesn't mean you're a good candidate. It just means it's a way for you to live the, the numbers down. It's trying to find a way that is not completely arbitrary, but you still yield some positive results. I mean, critically, it sort of rolls back down to education as well. Like we can start talking about changing people's lives from the age of 18, but why are we not looking back into schools and changing the education system to benefit everybody? Because at the moment it doesn't. Yeah, I still think though there needs to be change to the curriculum, which is the main thing. That's putting responsibility back onto the students to teach teach themselves, and that shouldn't be the way. Like, how many classes did you have? Like, talking to you about the, the importance of equality. I don't remember learning about it. Like, I only, really, history I only really remember learning about the War of the Roses. Yeah, and... Uh, that was quite lit, from what I remember. Anne Bolin. Anne, Anne of Seymour. No. Anne of Cleves. Was it Anne of Seymour? Jane Seymour. No. Jane Seymour. We, we went to see Six right. recently, so I'm well-versed in the history of Henry VIII. You're well-versed in what? the wives, not necessarily him. No, he wasn't in the play, was he? No. Oh, I love that. So do you think, as a... I'll put air quote marks for those who can't see. We'll be able to see. Um, is the until we get the animation <laughs> going? <laughs> Obviously, she, she's been telling me. Have you seen the Ricky Gervais show? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I once, mean, if, once if I we, figure out how to do this coding show, I'll be able to. If we ever get draw. to that stage, you've yeah, got, no. You've got an Apple pencil now. Oh, that means I have the just, talent to draw an animation do, like, series. Stickman. All it would be is the three of us sat around this table, like. Maybe some arm movements. Well, Ash would be like bending forward, bending back, bending forward. <laughs> like a marionette. Um, are we, as the snowflake generation in quote marks, are we justified to be discontented with the current social situations? Where do we start? Yeah, do, do you, you have one? a few hours? Yeah. <laughs> um, the school meals, in my opinion, I mm. think is a little bit ridiculous. And I think in terms of whether we are justified or not, I think being able to speak out against the government and critique is fund- it's a fundamental liberal principle no, no, right. <laughs> um, so what was I going to say oh, I didn't have a train of thought anyway, I'm so sorry no, but just, <laughs> just in general I think having peep show anyone I know oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't understand that reference anyways um, yeah I think having a general concern about the way things are run in a society that you're living in is pretty fundamental. I don't think there's anything unwarranted or unjustified about it. If we, if everything was perfect, then we'd all be sitting in silence, smiling at the dinner tables, but then one boy gets a half, like half a pepper. We're applauding people like Piers Morgan now um, for holding politicians to account because we've just accepted that politicians are just like, Not affo- like this useless, pretty incompetent it's almost a joke like oh, politicians lie to you and it's just something that we kind of i don't think we have accepted it i just think that those who can do anything about it have accepted it i think it's a it's a massive push for why we should be lowering the voting age to 16. do you think yes yeah massively why well for us it was even out the balance between like uh sort of the our aging population and then like policies that actually affect people who just due to being two years younger can't like the majority of um policies aren't going to affect say 
I'd say over 65, but maybe that's a bit harsh. Let's say over 85s. There, there is a, like, over 85s, and I love my dad. I was, I was literally going to say, you're going to like, chuck your dad in of, the... Like, policies, chucking him. <laughs> like, in terms of policies, like, there's very little that we're ever going to affect him, and yet he has a bigger sway than 16-year-olds who are able to fight in our, our armies, are, you know, doing entering their the GCSEs, market, yeah. entering job markets if they're not... Oh, yeah, doing A-levels or whatever. Um, and... Yeah, can't you know? Can't get homes for themselves. Or there's people who want to go to university but haven't. Don't. Um, there's just a story I was reading today about an individual who she is applying. She's worked for the last three years in a government apprenticeship, and they've said um, student finance said sorry, we can't um, classify you as an independent person because the wage that you've earned for the last three years is too low. Yeah, so the student finance return, like, your, your wage isn't a real wage, and yet the government thinks it's a real wage. Mm. Three pound... Wait, are they assuming, like, you couldn't have lived off that money, you must be part of, like, a family or something? Is that what they're saying? Like, you're you're not an independent person, yeah. and you couldn't... Like, there's no you way you survive, 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 survive off that. You can't wow. in, Yeah. And they're the same people, you know, who are having to, due to either no fault of their own or whatever, having to take those apprenticeships, but have no say in them. And yet, people who are over eighty-five, what are they, what are they affected by other than other than health, mm. health decisions? Because they're not a part of the labour market. They're not really. Your dad still works now, then, doesn't he? Well, he but if I no, <laughs> not, not, not enough, but he's, like, he's not. He's not. And I hate to say this, he's not. Other than like obviously spending like money in a shop in shops and stuff, he's not a contributing member of society. <gasps> but I anymore. think the argument would be that people over the age of 85 for example have contributed in the past to the economy and they sure sure have earned that uh, right to vote which personally i don't I agree don't with should, I, don't I don't think you should earn a right i think if you're and i think 18 like the difference between someone that's 17 and 18 is nothing i'm not saying we should it's take away it, it's nothing we shouldn't it's, it's not, one year <laughs> i'm not saying we should necessarily take away that vote i'm just saying it should be balanced out so that the, the vote represents the population. Yeah, but then it's mm. not in maybe the government's interest to make that balance because oh. a lot of especially on the Tories because they'll know that they'll lose their the huge votes population. Vote. Yeah. Remind me when it's your dad's birthday next because I'm gonna write on his card. Happy birthday, Mel. Sorry to say that you're no longer a contributing member of society. <laughs> no, Plus, that's Ash. Obviously, he has and he's done amazing things. And um, this is not me disrespecting anyone who's. I'm saying that just my dad there's no one else equal just balance leave him out there needs to be there needs to be a balance between those yeah. who are you know needing policies to work for them and those who don't but like have done in the past you know and that's my issue is like even the education system there's no likely outcome that there'll be good reforms for people like younger kids now because in terms of who wants these reforms yeah it's the younger generation the older generation who've passed you know decades are like having gone to school don't see the necessity of it and even people with kids i still question like why don't you want a better schooling system for your kids i'm why? sure they do why, yeah, why do you think people prioritizing don't? other things over education I, I guess but also you have to think about the fact like are the generation before millennials should we say who like, obviously millennials now are starting to have children uh, or no, have been having children for a little while. But uh, our parents' generation, a lot of our parents' generation didn't uh, 
education didn't feature so heavily in terms of their career choices. Like we had far more people doing menial labour or just vocational not needing role, vocational basically. roles. And so they, a lot of like, I know at least like parent, my parents and other people were like, well, we got by and we didn't have a very good education. And their attitude has been like, you'll do good work wherever you are. But like, I think that's because that's the what the roles and jobs that we needed to fill in those days. But now we need people who are IT literate and you know have skills that you can only get through education but people voting on it who don't get that it's almost yeah it's essentially mm. a paywall into the job market at the moment you can't really if you uh, take on an apprenticeship because they're pretty bare at the moment um and very hard to get into Rishi's like set up his what, Sunak yeah because he's created like 200 Sunak. maybe they're not I'm not sure if they're apprenticeships but it's like 200,000 roles for, like, I saw that so yeah. they haven't been but filled but only 2,000 have actually been able to start because of um, COVID why well, would you yeah. create 200,000 roles that require non-COVID conditions we've got a question in from a listener <laughs> no stop yes why are you laughing this is oh. a really really good podcast okay anyway what's the name of the user no no no, 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 no we're no, an out people user 3472 yeah, to bot. Um, He's a 69. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you keep that in there. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's definitely staying dead. Um, Future Ash, please take this out or I'll be really grumpy at you. Um, cool. So the question is, um, <laughs> do you think that millennials slash Gen Z are less tolerant today and why? Depends on what you mean by tolerance, really. So I think if we go back on that kind of definition of what a snowflake was from Urban Dictionary, um, the idea that we are less willing to uh, to view or to listen to other people's opinions, especially opinions that we don't necessarily agree with. I can throw an example um, in terms of things that happen at university. Um, there are movements to de-platform certain speakers there are certain um, societies and stuff who are unable to really contribute in terms of certain discussions do you think that's evidence of our generation being less tolerant or is it just us reprioritizing what we want our university to be i think it's more kind of a response to feeling like our identity is threatened so like even at my uni when there was like a um talk on i think there was like an israeli member of government that came and gave it like a talk and um there was like protests about him um coming to speak because for some groups it felt like an infringement of their identity but i think because millennials (laughs) because gen z or millennials are like more impassioned about certain things i don't think i think that's mainly where the issue comes from you know our response to feeling like we're being discriminated or fe- like seeing other people or other groups being discriminated makes people angry which i think is a natural feeling for people with a conscience and with empathy you talked about our generation being more impassioned and more um more committed to social justice and equality but has that passion meant that we no longer compromise as much as we used to do or are people less willing to compromise for people's, for other people's viewpoints that you might not necessarily agree with? I think we have become less tolerant to pain. And what that means is a good, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. And it's a good thing in the sense we've become less tolerant, particularly for the pain that others feel. And so when somebody is attacking another person, I think we've 
generation gen z and millennials have sort of come together going i'm not tolerant of that i'm upset by um you attacking other people and i think that it has internalized being like i am tolerant of, of other people in a bad sense perhaps it's meant we are less tolerant in terms of pains to ourselves, and so it means that yeah like not only are we we're not happy about what other people say about other people but we're not happy about how that affects us and so perhaps we personalize issues rather than talking about them in a way of like thinking about another person so yeah we've become less tolerant to pain um to put it in a weird way i'd say so on pain though and i think this might be part of the definition of snowflake is maybe more sensitive more overly emotional as not that not saying that's also these are this is mm-hmm. the, the parameters of what we're discussing about do you think that we are now more susceptible to something that feels like an attack even if it might not be an attack for example the frank discussion of views might to one side of a uh, one party say this is just my opinion this is not me making a personal attack on you or what you believe in but that you think that people in our generation are more likely to perceive that to be an attack on something fundamental like our identity and our value system. I just think it's weaponized to that when that's if I was uh, um, as someone you know sort of left leaning coming into a group of right leaning particularly right leaning people going, oh, this is just my views about what you're doing. What you're doing is wrong. Uh, I don't accept it, um, and I would like you to stop. Uh, when I'm doing it as a left-leaning person, it's emotional. But when a right-leaning person's doing it, they're, they're in the same, you know, same same idea, but flip flip round. They're they're standing up for their free speech. Mm. It's it's just weaponized, and it's the same it's the same argument on both sides. It's just that the the, the right have weaponized it to and done it in a bullying way. Do you think it's weaponized because I mean you can talk about it because obviously you got university. Do you think it's because? being right-wing or conservative in this country because it might be different elsewhere um is you are you're you tend to be a minority in a, in a university well, clearly, society well not a minority oh in terms in, of in university. university not in the country-wide but in a university because you are a minority in your viewpoint for example you have to maybe say that you're the one trying to fight for your right to speak the right to speak is a bit of a weird one because everyone's got a right to speak generally speaking but um you might have to do more to get your view heard and so you might have to push back more to the majority of the people at university who might yeah. be left Potentially and I think there's also the other danger of the fact that a lot of people are closet conservatives for example and don't necessarily want to share their views and I think there is a issue with that because the only way that people really understand a topic is by hearing both sides and making a judgment from that and when one side is omitted from the debate or you know i just think it'll be so much more useful if we all have open discussions that don't involve belittling people from the left for being super like lefties and being you know whatever else they call us nowadays (laughs) so i've I've got i won't say their name but i've got a really good friend of mine who at university they um decided in like the i think end of second year and third year to uh, put a picture of themselves with a political figure who was a member of the Conservative Party. And from that, he, he quite palpably noticed that he would be, he wouldn't get invited to certain parties, being explicitly told that, oh, well, you're a Conservative, so I'm not going to, well, you're a filthy Tory, or some kind of insult. And their perspective was like, look, I'm not there to try preach. I'm not there to try convert people to, I just, these, these are my political views. Um, means that I, I have no 
social influence anymore. I can't, I haven't got a voice to a certain degree. And, and to some extent, particularly people who are economically minded for conservatives, I have some sympathy because, well, no, I don't actually, because the, <laughs> the route to economic conservatives still relies in social injustice. Um, it's difficult because there are people who, in the left, like, kind of don't see the difference, perhaps, between, you know, fiscal conservatism and social moral um, conservative choices. And I think that sort of, like, clumped together of, like, um, people who are conservatives and, and the right. The right, not, like, necessarily are quite different from Tories. Like, the Tories have become more and more right-leaning, but they're certainly not, like... Right. The far no, right, no, the, yeah. but not even the far right. But even in terms, you think that the right of politics, they're not they're, there. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're centre centrist right. They're leaning more right as things have gone on. But so yeah, in that respect, I do, I do, I do you know, feel bad. But then, if you believe those things and you you just don't really get, get equality. What do you and mean? I, also, no, 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 I just want to push on that point. What do you mean if you don't get those? What, what things particularly? Like, like uh, the idea of, like, for example, you know, we should free market. Like, free market is based on on inequality, and the idea of, like, oh, well, it's capitalism. You know, if you're good enough, then you can make it, and then like it's actually you know more equal for all. I was like, no, because not everybody has that same. It's 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 not even equality. It's equity. Not everybody has that same starting block. Um, to build themselves and necessarily people who earn billions of pounds a year have often not got that through fair and um, ethical means it's usually through exploitation yeah exploitation and trickle down never works yeah so economics lesson right there (laughs) yeah equal plus down (laughs) anyone (laughs) yeah you probably know more about this oh definitely not um (laughs) (laughs) oh definitely not definitely not yeah I think I haven't probably noticed that Maybe it's it's not a question of tolerance. It's like you said, we're we're not just we're not going to accept things that were willingly accepted before, and also because we have a means now of mobilising people on social media and being like, look, this this is a common problem we're all going through. Why should we all accept it? Because if you were a minority in a certain time where you felt alone and isolated and you couldn't voice your frustrations for fear of social or you know uh, professional reper- repercussions. Now you have a chance to, and why would you? You, you? Especially if you're from a minority group and you saw your parents or relatives going through some some horrible shit, why would you now accept that? Preeti Patel. What about Preeti Patel? Sorry, guys, that just popped into my head. Um, Do you think about her a lot? But my my wider question would be: so you spoke about your friend who um, anonymous friend who um, felt uncomfortable with initially coming out with the fact not coming out but initially like um (laughs) labeling himself as a conservative at university yeah and my question is for those that hold socially conservative views Mm. is it fair to ask whether the shame that you feel is coming from somewhere where you know it's not morally right i I think from personal experience and knowing people who might be socially conservative it's not a shame as in like I don't want to air my views because these might offend other people or these might not be accepted. It's the fear of the repercussions socially that happens. But why, where do the repercussions come from? Why, why are people upset by your views? Because they don't agree. Yeah. And why don't they agree? 
That's what the question you'd but be you, asking yourself. So Why if am you're, I in the minority? Yeah, but, but what's, it's not necessarily wrong to be in a minority viewpoint. We want to have encourage a society where everyone thinks differently. We don't of want people course, to do the same. But with, with issues of equality and discrimination, I feel like that's really where I draw the line. If that is something that needs to be persuaded or taught to you, that that is what, you know, an ideal society would look like or any, like, good enough society would look like. But do you think they're social conservatives? don't agree on the idea of equality or simply don't agree, agree on, on the too... method on the method no, of getting there i feel like it's just too much equality what do you mean so even like stricter immigration laws for example right you know unless you feel personally threatened by the thought of someone else or other people coming into your country and potentially taking what is rightfully yours but not rightfully because we don't have any ownership over this country we're citizens yes but we're not the state so my question is if you have if you're truly secure in yourself then you wouldn't be threatened by other people coming in yeah but surely you're allowed to have that viewpoint you're allowed to have that viewpoint but i think it's important to know where that view comes from and i think a huge thing in history which has been completely omitted from our like um curriculum and our education is this whole process of othering which has been happening for centuries Mm. and it's all a power play you know we should have the power because we're here and we're civilized and we're educated and we're a developed country so someone else you know that might not be the same um my train of thought is really bad right now but you get what i'm saying like yeah it's it's a huge political tool and if people don't recognize that this need to take our country back and this need to you know get britain to be great again doesn't come from a discourse that has been literally fed into us for generations then you're not really acting on your free will by wanting that i think as well i think this this is the way so let's frame this as a problem so currently we could say that maybe there is not as much discourse going on between different sides of the political spectrum spectrum and so i view the way that we should treat people who um, have you know vastly different views on quite, quite fundamental ideas as being a product of their environment. So people typically don't choose to be against equality because they think it's the right thing to do. They're doing it because they have grown up in a certain way and taught certain things that lend them that way. In the, in the same way that I've been watching a few documentaries recently and, and it's actually really horrible to see how people um, on benefits in this country have just been completely yeah. demonised. Like Absolutely. shows on like Channel 4 and stuff like Benefits Britain, yeah. literally filming people like on a council estate and trying to make them, paint them in a negative light. Yeah, to the it's, point where taxpayers now consider their money going to, straight in the banks of people that potentially abuse the benefit system, which is a uh, yeah. small, small minority of people. Such a small and it's a mentality shift so now i think we we now understand we probably got to a point in society where we don't look at people who are in a poorer socioeconomic uh, stance and say the reason you're you're there because you're lazy you're you know morally bankrupt you made bad personal choice we don't say that because we know that there are structural reasons and environmental reasons why they've ended up in a cycle and they can't get out of it we don't i mean that might have been a traditional way of doing that I think the way we should view people who are from a different different political view is that they have grown up in a way that we can't understand. But those same people, are, like, I, I, I guess you're at that point you're reflecting on conservatives who've grown up with the, you know, this idea. Mm. But those same people, the same people who, despite that, want to remove the welfare state. Yeah, like completely agree. Like, yeah, like I don't. <laughs> It's just like you're the people that you're referring to are people who have massive privilege anyway. And instead of 
kind of acknowledging your privilege and thinking, why can't I remove a few obstacles for other groups of people? You're continuing to add obstacles or keep those obstacles in place. It's because I think, I genuinely think they don't see them, the things that we think are obstacles, they don't think they are obstacles. But unfortunately, I don't think that's a good enough excuse in today's time. But that's a political thing, isn't it? That's uh, that's what us going, this is an obstacle. Yeah, but there's evidence. Like, like, yeah, or an evidential thing. Particularly if it's, uh, particularly if we're talking about welfare, it's generally, you know, uh, disabilities, for example, or, or children. That's, that's something yeah. I don't understand. How conservatives can think not having, you know, children is a detriment to, to you. <laughs> like, that's been around for a while. We've understood about children, how they, they take the toll on people. Unless we're talking about conservatives who have butlers and... And that kind of thing, but we're not. We're talking about the middle class conservative who understands uh, those those difficulties. But we've always had an understanding that having um, disabilities does make your life harder. And yet, we're, they're so, still so against the social and the welfare state. So how do we move forward in these discussions where they probably aren't as productive as they could be? How do we move forward to a point where we can? We can't clearly convert people. Mm. We can't make people think a certain way unless you, over a period of time, you encourage them to do research and maybe broaden their horizons with their understanding. But in the current position we're in, where there is quite a lot of division in society and a lot of stigmatising and uncomfortableness that comes with it, how do we get past it? I think it's a difficult one because to take emotion out of the debate is really difficult for a lot of people especially if your own freedom if your own like chance to be recognized as a person is at stake here and I think what a lot of people learn in the whole post George Floyd period was that educating other people was very important but also not to the point where you know people don't utilize their own tools you we can't sit yeah. here and try to get the message across on social media and try to change every single mind out there I think there needs to be a level of personal responsibility for each person that is going to be living in this country for however many years to realise that these issues are just going to keep continuing and the same issues that we keep seeing are going to come up until they are fixed or until there is a proper solution for them. And I feel like it's not productive to shout your ideas and kind of like force them on other people. I think it's really important to have a two-sided debate But I don't think it's fair to say that people who are really passionate about issues of um, equality for all or just social issues are, you know, dominating the conversation. It's not dominating the conversation. Otherwise, change would have happened at a faster pace than it has. I think um, this might be a bit radical. Um, Let's go. Let's hear it. Jezza. Karl Marx. I think (laughs) if perhaps Karl And I think it's something I've realised, at least like, you know, in my microcosm of speaking to my, I wouldn't say conservatives, but perhaps conservative parents, but just perhaps unaware and, you know, not woke parents, um, is that when I admit fallacy, um, it's not fallacy, being fallible. Wait, you've admitted being fallible? (laughs) And then go, look, I used to think this, but now I thought that rather than, like you say, like putting it down someone's throat. I think mm. perhaps allowing a moment of people who are, I don't want to say right wing, but you know, not woke, again, I don't use, like, like using that word, to have that moment of re- recognizing they're fallible and not being um, attacked in that moment. I think there has to obviously be a point and like every diff- person's point is different. Like 
a, a teenager who says something stupid on TikTok shouldn't be um, demonised as long as a, a prime minister should be because mm. there, there are certain checks and balances for different people. But I think that mi- that moment of fallibility, uh, if they see weakness, if they see the left accepting their own weakness, then maybe they'll accept their weakness, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I think education is something that has been really mobilised at the moment. And I think it's really good to see political activism taking the shape it is. And people, I mean, I've learned things I never thought I'd have access to in terms of information because of the willingness of people to share their experiences and their just their thought processes because we all think differently based on how we've grown up. The second thing alongside education has to be exposure mm. and I think that's the thing where we're probably falling down. I think there's enough education out there from people who are willing to just to disseminate material but we're not meeting each other enough. We're not actually talking to people from another side because if you if you are really good friends with someone who has a completely difficult leaning to you a political point of view you're more likely to understand because you there's a there's a commonality there and i think on the point you made about we we shouldn't really jump down people's throats yeah we shouldn't do you think do you think that we as a generation are guilty of that do we do you think that on social media there is a tendency to jump down people's throats 100 percent. and i think if you think you know imagine you told somebody something that they did wrong if you you know didn't give them that moment to pray and you kept telling them every little thing that they do wrong they're gonna get to a point where you go well you're not going like you're not giving me a chance and now you're making me feel like a demon i'm gonna act like a Mm. demon Mm. um so i think while it obviously exposure is massively important to stop that initial thought what we want to do is to, to stop it from getting further or stop stop misunderstanding turning into hate I think that's yeah yeah and I think with that is understanding that us in London right now we're all in such a bubble of what it means to have like a diverse society and I recognize that people have various different experiences and various different norms of what is acceptable to say what isn't acceptable saying when you include like generational beliefs as well it it makes it so much more complicated but i think having a constructive view of it you know realizing that just because you've had an experience or you've said certain things in the past doesn't mean that that's going to be carried forward you know everyone has the potential to learn to educate and um i just i the whole idea of exposure to me feels a bit weird because should you have to see someone experience something to feel bad you know do i have to physically see a refugee drowning in the sea for me to feel an in, an inch of of course consciousness. Not, but it will make it easier. You no, know, I I think that's such a bad excuse. You know, like if you have a degree of empathy of humanity, you don't have to see a physical expression of violence or discrimination or um, any kind of harm to feel but, personally but, affected but by but it. But violence and harm, I agree with you, are, are pretty universal things. You can see violence and harm taking place and going. That's obviously we don't agree with that. Morally, most people would recognise that and go, "That's unacceptable." It's the more nuanced things that people are not appreciating and thinking, "Oh, I, I saw that action taking place and I didn't think anything of it." But someone who's experienced that going, "Oh, this is actually what it means to me," and because of my experience, and I don't think that level of detail is being because watching a video of something happening or reading a story of an experience someone's gone through doesn't make sense about the real harm it's having on them unless you have context. Why are we getting a we, we're, as we're bringing more and more things into discussion um, about what is and isn't acceptable in society, we're getting more and more anger. So that makes no sense. We, we're having far greater exposure than we used to, and yet we've got you know um, pockets of 
uh, neo-Nazis in um, uh, in Europe, and we've had like this is the first, the most um, right-leaning group, like Elia. Um, what's Nigel Farage's one? UKIP. UKIP. UKIP's one of the most right-leaning group, like in terms of like obviously if you compare um, old Labour, like yes, their views were conservative mm. in the sense that you know about women's votes and the kind of things but in terms of like the general society we have never had in the uk like as extreme politics as we've got right now and yet we've got more exposure than we have ever before but it's not it's and let me elaborate i don't think it's the right kind of you're right i mean in the sense that the the views from both sides are being propagated more but for example when it comes to right-leaning people on social media a lot of people are not on Twitter anymore. Like right-leaning conservatives have all left Twitter. Yeah, they've, they've, they've migrated Parler. to yeah. Uh, Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> but also other their, their own platforms. So this is the exposure now. I mean, whether you agree or thought it was protect, potentially harmful for a lot of clashes to take place online with different people from different political ideologies who might, you know, might be quite ruthless, might be attacking each other. Obviously, that's not right. But the situation we have now, where an entire viewpoint is now just segregated but is it from the segregated main, it is. though it is because if you have if you're having a conversation online but about online a certain, okay yeah this is what i'm saying about exp- the real expression yeah. of being person right but when is the what's the difference between an opinion and hate then because mm. then we talk about freedom of speech but then we we're not allowed like hate speech is not lawful in this country yeah so where does the line because well, so hate, so hate speech pertains to a protected characteristic, typically. So if you're talking about religion, race, but it's... which are the most contentious things that are debated now, yeah, and that there's the huge disparity of like agreement on. And, and it's not like the right are like picking issues about things that aren't controversial or aren't against other human beings. But it's only controversial because they're picking on topics that we have on the left side of things have gone yeah obviously like, that's settled we've already agreed is an issue and should but and they're trying to challenge it that's it's why the, the the kind of like binding factor of a lot of things that the right kind of pokes at are like marginalized people yeah and so, how how are they the ones challenging it so i would say it's the left who are challenging the societal norms and that's i think the issue is that online maybe we do have a majority but then when it translates to real wider life. society this is what i'm saying this is what i'm talking about like proper exposure because if you have a platform like twitter where the majority of the viewpoints are fairly similar within a certain degree and this whole other group what will eventually happen is that the next right-wing leader who might enter british politics we won't see them coming they'll be on their platform they'll be they'll be garnering lots of support that we don't see and then when they enter mainstream politics, you're like, who is this guy? Where, is it? Where have they come from? And they'll already have a huge base. And because we haven't been able to properly get that exposure to make sure that we understand what they're, what they're disagreeing with, what their main uh, gripes are about other kinds of thinking and political ideology. I don't know. I think that downplays the fact that there are always going to be people who are going to come and hate and like their opinions whether or not like they feel safe to do so online there's going to be people on either side that don't care if they get abused they're going to put their points out it's not that like maybe there are maybe seeing the numbers who are looking at it and observing of it maybe that's a bit worrying but i don't think we're ever going to because the whole idea is that neither party likes what the other party's doing we're mm-hmm. not going to go oh, okay we'll just let them carry on yeah. doing you know whatever hateful acts they're doing on either side but like you said, actually, in terms of the current trajectory, things are becoming probably more um, 
not right wing, but definitely more conservative. I just think I don't think it's more either way. I think we're just becoming less divided yeah. as well. Yeah, Le- more divided. And this is my point. So it, this is, ties quite neatly into this idea of are we losing compromise because we are more likely to go. You know, this is the viewpoint. This is the way our society has to move forward. And obviously you have another side of the table going, no, this is the way we've got to move forward. And like you said, because we're moving apart away from the centre, are we even going to be able to agree on anything? But I think in that respect, to compromise to compromise means that one side has to concede. Yes. And neither side will ever want that. I don't think, I think it's, you're very generous saying that the right side or conservatism is, is a path moving forward. It's a path standing still. It's, you're literally conservative, like, it comes Okay, so it, but, but then, when I say moving forward, I meant, I said, in terms of how we should govern our lives and civil liberties, this is the way we should do things, not that way. But, well, no, no, I know, but what, you've got one group saying, like, things are keep, fine as they keep, are. Everything's right. And the other group's like going like this, we need change. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we, we have got a lot less compromise because necessarily we have to move forward. We think this to is what this is so interesting because what it's, it's like the island might break apart. Do you know what I mean? You have two sides now who are pretty confident that actually this is the way we need to do things. We need I'm to sure say the same. We need to move forward. Anytime there's been any social change, it has started with a small minority and it's like snowballing so in terms of Mm. whether you know maybe right now we're seeing a real resistance to some changes but give it 10 years give it 20 years who knows what the situation might be then but is that good enough you know history Mm. favors progress yeah like you know we we're not still living in caves because someone decided that making a hut was better there were probably still people like no but guys like this this cave's great and like, yeah it's know, so homely look yeah at my like no, no 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 like seriously because they had the best be- they had the best place to sleep look in about the cave. um you know yeah they had the best place to sleep in the cave but then when everyone left the cave they you know they had to make the choice well do i live in the cave alone and risk being you know eating my tigers or do i go and um do what everyone else is doing yeah okay i'm not gonna have the best seat anymore in the cave but, um but at least I'm, you know, moving on. And so, yeah, I think, I think, fingers crossed, means we'll progress. And we just hope that those who are left in the cave die off. <laughs> like, to put it bluntly. Yeah. Extinction. Like, in, like, a natural... Extinction rebellion. Yeah, in a natural, like, non... Not a violent... You're, you're not going <laughs> to hope not, someone goes in the middle of the and goes... You just <laughs> want loads yeah. of people to die in their sleep? Yeah. You want people to die in their sleep? I mean, that's the best way for anybody to die. To be fair, it's very you know, really? humane. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's peaceful. I want to be crucified. You start, you go to sleep, you don't wake up. <laughs> but so, in terms of <laughs> moving swiftly on, <laughs> in terms of um, us like wanting change and wanting progress, do you think we as a generation, because we are so built on like instant gratification and get everything now, mm. we are pushing change because? we want it now which i think is rightly needed yeah because we're impatient we don't see that whole kind of things take time you know rome wasn't built in a day kind of yeah i I completely agree i think remember even dad was telling us a story of how he finds it so crazy that whenever he wants to get a toy he used to go to his dad and say could i get this toy please and um granddad would say um, no (laughs) you say um yeah, of course. Uh, just wait until the end of the month. I'll get my paycheck and we'll go to the shop and we'll pick the toy out. Now I want to, but if you had a child and they said, oh, dad, I want this uh, this game. Yeah, we'll be here tomorrow in the morning. Or, or today day. by t- or, or 10 p.m. Today, <laughs> today by 10 p.m. So the idea of 
the the idea of waiting for for something to happen and the the recognition that things becoming better is a process it's not a switch it's it's something that takes a period of time i think there's a bad side again like there's a bad side and the good side to that the good side is that it means that we're go because we expect that we're going to keep pushing for it until yeah. we get it because that's what everybody does and then the, obviously the negative side is going to be the fact that people you know if they're not getting what they want is the internalizing of the emotion of like n- someone not accepting it like what you want like your viewpoint i think perhaps if we the less i like one of the things like we could do to, would be to you know toughen up no man up look out for yourself and like ensure that your mental health is good and appreciate the fact that you are doing everything you can but you also should take time for yourself to make sure that you know you can still wake up the next day and post about um atrocities in the world like i think that's something i think we mentioned this on a previous pod actually that we're the generation that's almost certainly going to be suffering with burnout to a degree that has never been experienced before because we are so in tune with what's going on with the world even things that are further ashore from where we're living at home and we feel that there are so there's so much injustice and inequality going that we have to talk about and keep the conversation alive but I guess what you could say is in terms of managing that situation is to realise that you, you, there's a difference between being relentless and being impatient. You can be constantly telling people, like, look, these are things we need to be talking about, but also recognising that, look, this is going to be a long process. This isn't going to be something that's fixed overnight. It will be fixed a lot quicker because yeah. we, because there's so, much, so many people who are now on board and can support you. But still, the idea that things are going to change, especially structural inequality that is been implemented for hundreds of years there's no of course not going to change it i mean we discussed earlier about people in these positions whether that's politicians whether that's ceos whether that's people who are in long-standing institutions are not going to cede power why would they but you i think that impatience can still be positively construed by saying use that impatience to ask well why is that not happening as quickly rather than going this should happen now Mm. i don't understand find out why and then go well you know if i can do this in this many days or like then why can't you do that why can't this your mindset and change about that if i can learn you know about the structures of cells and all this stuff in a very mitochondria is the power of cell i got there before you 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 know if we can suddenly cram or are expected to or if you're if at work you're expected to do that why can't you do that about something like something else i think that that's where the energy should be spent as well is when you're feeling like it's not working find out why it's not working mm-hmm. it's accountability so i think the impatient helps i don't think it's a negative thing i think it is important like what you mentioned about making sure that we all like protect our mental health whilst also being impatient and you see you know in the workforce as well they've like countless studies have shown a happier, healthier workforce is more productive. Of course, yeah. And in the same sense, when you're looking at like pushing social change, what we're kind of leading into is kind of almost this like defeatism of we're not getting it now, so it's going to be impossible to change the structures that are like um, dictating our lives now. But I think what's so important is to remain empowered and it's so difficult. And, you know, I'm probably not in my position to say that everyone going through hardship right now, you know, you need to remain empowered whilst doing so. But I think with everything, you have to look at the long-term goal, you know? Are you guys generally fearful or hopeful of the way that social movements have been going? 
I think hopeful. I think there's far more, at least from perhaps like um, a neurological point of view, there's far more discussion about mental health and neurodiversities than like, like even in the last like two years, I've seen a massive mm. change and people being far more, and I, I, I genuinely am hopeful and positive and I think, yeah, there's far more discussions about um, non-binary and transgender and things that we didn't put as highly as we did as race. There are still discussions about race that we still need to have, but we're starting to now look at sort of microaggressions and smaller things, whereas like we weren't like we, those things were insignificant to some people. And I think the speed at which people are learning that is much younger. You know, you see um, people who are like 15, 16, probably even 14, being really like socially and politically aware, which is so important. And like, even recently um, at my old secondary school, there were um, Black, Black Lives Matter protests and um, students calling out teachers on the dis their discrimination, which would have never happened no. when um, my year group were, were at school. And it's just this different level of thought and I guess maybe entitlement comes into it but it's entitlement that's um, channeled in the right direction. Yeah but I've had to really think about this actually because I think especially the way that we kind of moved here I think there is definitely a different mindset if you're a first generation immigrant to someone if you're British born because I think our parents came here with the idea that actually you're going to endure a certain level of discrimination just just judgment in yeah. general and I think it's a survivor mentality. Like my parents came here and we kind of probably grew up and were instilled with the idea that like, you've got to work twice as hard and that's just a reality. There's no other option. Whereas people were born here, especially British South Asians are like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live. Yeah. Like even when we were watching uh, World War Country and um, like your dad's like shock at Sheila, like being like speaking out like, wow, yeah. she's so mm. brave, like, 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 like brazen. And it's like, well, she's not saying anything that if it was from a man, you'd be like, oh, oh no, I mean, no, no, man, not even that. I think, just... I think a white person, I think it was a, you've come to America, like you yeah. should respect their rules. If you're an immigrant to a certain place and you haven't got the resources or the social network, you have to kind of put your head down because mm -hmm. the social, you know, if you are being treated poorly, but you need to make sure that you're moving up professionally or socially, if you don't make concessions that even things that you vehemently disagree with, you're costing your family's lives or yeah. the potential for them to succeed. And I think maybe I was, when I first probably thought about social issues properly, I was probably more of the side that like, oh, come on, we can probably move past it and just get on with it. Like, really? it is, but I think I've also had to learn that actually, why should people yeah. accept mm -hmm. mediocrity? But um, I think that you're right in saying there's like this huge disconnect with our parents' um, generation, especially like parents that have come here as um, immigrants and from like our parents, you know, they both experienced um, discrimination in different ways but for them become like being successful and carrying on like what you do and kind of overcoming those hurdles is the ultimate mm. kind of fight against racism to show well i encountered this this and this and this but i still got but to I this point yeah. whereas I, I can only speak for myself here but i question why should i have to experience all this discrimination to get to that point and even though there's only two years between us, yeah, and I that think we all I, came here at the same time. But yeah. yeah, but I mean, <laughs> but I definitely grew up completely the other way, being like, I've just got to make it. Like, it doesn't matter if I've got to put up with a lot of nonsense. I've just got to do what I have to do to be successful. Whether that's 
um, to reach you know top of a skill set or to you know reach a leadership position these are things I've thought I have to do it because what's the alternative I can't say anything so I completely like the the I think a controversial point is like as, as opposed to your situation where you're saying look this is a market that I belong in and I should be treated equally I think a difficult conversation is perhaps when people uh, particularly if it's like a religious view have a particularly conservative religious view that's not perhaps you know British um, I mean there are a lot of homophobic British people um, or white British people but the idea of um, you know um, imagine most religions have um, like a hierarchy as well yeah and hierarchy yeah, of course. and when you bring that or like there was the protests wasn't there about outside the primary school about in Birmingham about, yeah a lot yeah. of um, yeah. teaching that about LGBT lessons and things that at that point I was like well am I being discriminatory by saying you shouldn't be allowed to put that belief out because it's but that's part of their religion and they you know are a minority and they generally are affected as you know for going through their religion or do you protect that like at what point do you protect that view it's the inevitable clashes you have with which is a really positive thing having multiculturalism having lots of people intermingle and share ideas and experiences but obviously you're gonna get clashes but eventually we'll reach a point where we can have a compromise with it. And but is, should there be, at that point, yeah. should there be a compromise? Because is that the point when the phrase when in Rome comes in? Yeah, like, I, I think I subscribe to that belief because you'd consider, you know, what I'd consider if I went to a different country and there were certain laws on whether that's a curfew or whether that's alcohol consumption or whether that's what you wear. Yeah, you would, hand, like, yeah you, know. you would kind of, you know, realize the climate that you're going into and adapt accordingly i don't think it would be right for me to um set foot in i don't have an example to head but like i wouldn't um if saudi arabia had rules of me wearing nothing on a beach i wouldn't go there and wear nothing you know like i would respect the rules yeah. and the culture of i would the agree with you i'm going to disagree for one reason and i think i i subscribe to the the principle of when in rome do as the romans do but if you take it to the uk Rome isn't full of Romans anymore. Yeah. There are lots of different societies and cultures and to say, you know, this is the way you should behave. And I think, again, probably me as a person coming here, you have to kind of assimilate. But if I had come here now, or I was born here, I'm thinking, well, look, I'm surrounded by loads of different kinds of people. What's this? Who's the Roman I have to adhere to? I can be who I want to be. And if a British Muslim person wants to be able to express themselves and have religious freedom, they should be able to. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think it comes down to who does my belief infringe on? And right. so in that situation, when it's a school disco that's at stake, I think fair enough if you don't um, subscribe to the belief that you think your children should be attending this disco. In your complete prerogative to be like, I don't want them to attend. Yeah, That's fine. But yeah. in terms of, I think the issue was um, whether that disco should have been allowed to go ahead. And I think that's a completely different situation because that's infringing on the freedoms of other people. Yeah. So I think that's probably the line we make is that you can, in terms of your civil rights, you are able to express yourself to as, as, as great a degree as you want, providing that you're not infringing on the rights of others. Yeah. yeah. Which is more difficult now because there's so many different tolerances in terms of what offends certain people and what offends other people that I think a lot of, maybe I'm generalising here, but a lot of the people on the right will like to say, well, because I can't say this completely outrageous thing, well, I can't say anything at all, you know? Have you guys heard of uh, Karl Popper's uh, theory of tolerance? You must have heard of it, I've sure. heard of his theory of falsifiability. He also, he, that was also one of his. Oh, thank God. 
Um, but his idea with thought of the question of how do we deal with intolerant people? What, what's our remedy? Do we put up with them? Do we chuck them out? Like, what do we do? And his idea is that, well, the question he posed was, should the tolerant tolerate the intolerant? And he said, no. The intolerant in this particular dilemma is people who will use any means to crush any marginal voices, any minority. And he says, eventually, the intolerant will just usurp and get rid of anyone who's tolerant. So in certain situations, if, you, if you're if you a tolerant person, you should not tolerate people who are genuinely intolerant because it will eventually lead to the destruction of your civil society you've created. So it's an interesting wow. thought. What do you guys think? Very forward thinking yeah. from Karl Popper. I think we've obviously had discussions about like we have to be civil and have good discourse, but ultimately, and this is maybe the perception of uh, attack and threat on a certain community or your values or your identity, if someone is going, is fundamentally disagreeing with who you are and the fact that you exist, you should tolerate that. Yeah, 100%. I think if some people have a potential to see your side, I think it's worth kind of delivering your side. Because at the end of the day, with social change, you need as many people to be on board as possible. I think you should tolerate somebody's belief to be intolerant, but not their actions. Right. Like, if someone said to me, I don't like gay people, I would have to tolerate that until up to the point that something that they did affected somebody. Now, that is really, I think it's a really good point. And when it came, when it comes to debates, um, around identity and things like that. So I think if someone states a viewpoint like that, you should tolerate that to a certain degree until they then, in in the real life or in, in terms of their daily actions, they then act on their prejudice. Yeah. But that comes with a caveat. Big but. Big condition. By merely <laughs> stating it, you are performing an action. Because... Hate speech. Yeah. You don't, you don't know whether I've had, you know, like... It's you're st- by saying you don't like somebody for absolutely no reason beyond their control. You're saying they're not good enough. You're not this. You're not that. It's you. You there's a threshold and you don't meet, meet it, and there's nothing you can do about it. That is an action. So yes. So you shouldn't tolerate that. I think, I think it it's individual. Whether person. Yeah. yeah. If you, if if by them saying something to you, well, though then because it, can I in good faith that someone said that to me and go. I don't agree with you, but I'm not going to try and stop with you in my head because I know if I don't stop them, then then the next person they might say it might actually do some harm to. So actually, that social contract is me going, no, okay, it doesn't affect me, but I need, to, I know it could affect somebody. It's like a loaded gun kind of thing. What did Russo say? About the social contract. I mean, Russo was kind of very progressive in a sense because he wanted. A society where even the most marginalized voices would be heard he said that an ideal society wouldn't be one until everyone has like their communal needs are met and for a lot of people now like your fundamental needs are not met mm. in society there's so much inequality there's so much unemployment there's so much discrimination so i don't think russo would be very happy with today's society and i think what you said about um whether you should tolerate to- tolerate it or not I think it depends as well of like if you know that someone making someone making a statement um, about a certain group um, kind of infers a bunch of things about what they think about that group I think that's a huge kind of not red flag but red flag about their character flag, yeah. and I think in terms of that you have every right to be like well I don't tolerate it I don't think you should be saying this stuff or you know it shouldn't have to 
lead to violence for you to not tolerate it. Is ignorance a character trait? Before you, very quickly before we go back, can I just quickly go back? To the point of the tolerance thing, in terms of like whether or not the personal choice. If my MP made a comment that was like, I don't like, I don't understand such and such group person, you would not, you, like just them saying it, you need to act on it because they have a position of power, you, yeah. they're going to make decisions that yeah. My 86 father, or father who doesn't leave the house and doesn't speak for anyone, doesn't say anything. Yes, I'm going to say, oh, that's not quite right. But am I going to sit there and try and, you know, try and like make it down and go through sort of words and cross-examine him? Yeah, and cross-examining him. <laughs> like, is, is it going to be worth it? Some might say on like a moral level, yes. Um, well, on a practical that, level, probably not. But on a, yeah, on a practical level, is it worth? Like, I have to uh, sort of. Weigh out the benefits of like your energy expenditure. Yeah, energy, like would my energy be better spent like targeting the people who actually are going to contribute to society? <laughs> yeah, I love my father. And your his... poor father. <laughs> we great. love you, Mel. You're so tall. <laughs> <laughs> That's an in joke about um, a Vinci's boyfriend who's uh, six foot seven. Oh, good one. <laughs> or my dad's eyes, like seven foot six. <laughs> You're so tall. Two point five Melvins. Probably is. What were you gonna say about the oh, yeah, ignorance? That was interesting. Is ignorance a character trait? No. It's not a fixed one. Right. So, but from what you said it's before that, you you said I that think it's a state of mind. No, but is that from, a character trait? Lack of... Yes. Yes. Well, from what you just okay. said, you said that if someone says a statement that's a red flag statement they have shown something about their character yeah so but i'm that... saying if, if if a statement such as the ones we mentioned is an ignorant statement is that a fixed part of who they are or is that something that if you've heard someone say you can go i think you're wrong like, well yes. i think first of all i think it's important to look at the root of why that person said what they said yeah you know is it actual ignorance or are they saying that in spite of what they know? And I know in this day of age, this day and age, um, for example, saying the N word, it's not. You don't have to be woke to know that that's not a word that should mm. be said if you're not a black person. So in terms of the ignorance, first of all, question: Are they actually ignorant? If they are ignorant, then you can obviously educate them and kind of question why they thought it was okay to say it. And that's not necessarily an attack on them. It's just kind of getting to the bottom of that ignorance. 